You're listening to Fly By Night, a podcast by FedEx Pilots for FedEx Pilots. Brought to you by the FedEx Master Executive Council of the Airline Pilots Association. And now, here's your host, MEC Communications Chair, Captain Chris Lee. Welcome to our TA podcast series. Each podcast episode will begin with Negotiating Committee Chair, Captain Pat May's overview of the process on how the opener goals were established and how we got to where we are now. After that, each podcast will then focus on one section of the TA. Pat, talk to the pilots about this process and how we got to where we are now. Chris, what's important for the pilots to understand as we present the information to them throughout these podcasts and other items of education is how we got here. The openers were developed by the MEC in conjunction and coordination with the negotiating committee, but we didn't pull these items out of thin air. They came and were driven by direct pilot input. So this is a pilot-driven contract from beginning to end. First and foremost of those pieces of information were the pilot surveys. We have surveyed the pilots continuously since beginning in 2019. Every six to eight months, those pilot surveys have been statistically significant, and it's informed the MEC on what the openers were and what level of focus our pilots wanted to have. Not only was it surveys, though, we also relied heavily on pilot DART reports, direct emails to contract enforcement, actual contract enforcement cases, grievances, subject matter expert input from our key committees, and finally, the MEC took all this information and we stepped through a very systematic process to highlight and identify the openers for negotiation. So this has been pilot-driven from beginning to end, and that's what informed us on the openers and also established the goals that are laid out in the opener. Thanks, Pat. In this episode of our TA podcast series, we're focusing on Section 8, Deadheading. And joining Pat today is Negotiating Committee member, Captain Rich Brown. Pat, both Alpha and the company opened Section 8, Deadheading. Can you talk about some of the things we were trying to achieve with that section? Yeah, Chris. One of the big goals in general was improve quality of life. That was one of the three main pillars in the MEC opener. And the quality of life issue certainly resides or much of it resides in Section 8 for our pilots when they're deadheading in and out of their trips and even mid-trips. So that's a big piece of it. Um, but we, we also had um, some concerns over expense reporting and issues that we had to work through. The company on their side had a very uh, high goal, which was to bring and broaden the use of jump seats bigger than what is allowed in the contract today. They wanted to put us more in line with the UPS style of the jump seat ability in lieu of deadheads. Big picture, Ridge, did anything change for our pilots with baseline and established fares in this section? The paradigm for baseline and established fares remains the same. We were able to uh, accomplish some improvements, more specific improvements, in how pilots are able to manipulate their, their seat within a class of service and which tickets the company has to buy in the economy class of service. That's right, Rich. And, you know, one of the areas that we focused in on was uh, broadly quality of life. And we looked at the areas where pilots get frustrated. And that's, that's that real baseline economy ticket where they're sitting, you know, the, the back of the airplane middle seat. And they have no ability to change that seat or very limited ability. So what we've done is we've kind of attacked that problem. The first fix there was to give pilots more flexibility with an increased allowance where they could move their seat 
from the baseline economy up to, for example, in Delta, their premium economy seat, where we've increased the the allocation there to, from $40 up to $100 or $80 for the combined sequence. Now it's $100. That's right, Pat. We, we took away the, the restriction on uh, segments or sequences that are in the current contract, uh, $40 for a segment or $80 for a sequence. We just made it $100. It's $100 on one leg or $100 on one sequence. It doesn't, doesn't matter which one. So we were able to increase the amount and increase the flexibility of pilots to utilize that, that money. And another improved layer there was also making it obligatory for the company to actually purchase tickets when they're purchasing those economy class tickets to ensure that the ticket has seat selection availability if it's available, Um, which also brings us to the Southwest uh, codification that we did. You know, practice as pilots know it now is if the company does purchase that Southwest ticket ordinarily, the company gives us a business class uh, ticket, which... uh, puts us at the front of the line for boarding, which our pilots enjoy. But there was no requirement for them to do that. With this change, we have codified that agreement. So the company, now it's obligatory for them to uh, to buy a ticket that does require seat selection, which precludes some of those basic economy tickets, if there's any other option available. And then um, we also provided that ability for pilots. So if they're caught in a situation where only a basic economy ticket is available, they still have money to select another seat in the economy section up to and including a premium economy seat. Yeah, and as the pilots view the TA, Chris, um, one of the things that might stand out or jump out at them is there's a lot of blue language that looks like there's new language with the company's uh, purchase of higher class of service. That shouldn't be confused with what we actually negotiated there. That was from a previous settlement, and it's just simply incorporated here for the pilots could see that settlement agreement, which was a great agreement, and it actually requires uh, specific timing on the higher class of service uh, tickets when they're purchased, but that's not new language. Pat, one of the openers was to incorporate the application of the Deviation Bank from the COVID-19 Mitigating Travel Measures MOU. Talk to the pilots about what you were able to accomplish with this goal. Chris, the uh, Travel Measures MOU, we negotiated some nice benefits as we were working through the pandemic. And as we viewed those, there was, broadly speaking, some desire by the pilots to want to incorporate some of those features that were in that MOU, notably of those, the deviation bank improvements, and then also the uh, rental car. That's right, Pat. Let's take a look at the the deviation bank first. To start with just a little bit of history, in uh, 2015, we were able to accomplish a fairly large increase in our deviation bank benefit in going from the deviation bank zeroing out after the month to this rolling deviation bank we have now where each month it reduces in half. Then when the travel MOU came along, we got the uh, deviation bank that is perpetual. Uh, The company was unwilling to maintain that perpetual bank, but what we were able to accomplish is we were able to preserve the full value of our deviation bank for three additional bid periods. And then following that third bid period, it will reduce by half over the next two so in the fourth month, it would be worth 50%, and then in the fifth month, it would go to zero. Yeah, Rich, and there's, uh, for the pilot's awareness, there's two examples in the TA, and then there's another example of how that deviation bank would work once the agreement is ratified in the FAQ. And just to be clear on that reduction, that money is first in, first out. Well, since we know the travel measures MOU is not indefinite, what's going to happen when that goes away? Well, the first thing, Chris, is either party can cancel that travel measures MOU with appropriate notice, 
Once that's canceled, then the pilot's current bank that they have will be preserved for four months. That bank, after the four months then, uh, assuming we have a ratified agreement in front of us with this new language, then at that point, that snapshot of the deviation bank money would start to reduce um, after three months. So just what Rich said. So you'd have the four months from the travel measures, MOU cancellation. Then you would have that balance that would be retained for three additional months. Then it gets reduced by 50%. And then the last month, it's zeroed out. So it would be a total of seven months of full benefit value in that deviation bank before it begins to be reduced. The big takeaway for the pilots is there's plenty of warning and notice. I know there's some large deviation bank account balances and pilots that have a time to work through those and maximize their use of those bank monies. You mentioned rental cars and its association with the travel measures MOU. Are there any more details you can provide to the pilots? So yeah, Chris, uh, we were able to uh, basically retain the ability of a pilot to utilize a rental car um, up to $100 or if it's approved more than $100. So it was more flexibility for the pilots and the, we get a lot of positive feedback about the rental car feature. Today, rental cars are not authorized as a form of transportation when a pilot's trying to go to or from a trip. This incorporates that ability for the pilot get, to get to or from their location with the provisions that are outlined in the TA. Have any other qualifying deviation expenses changed? Yes, Chris. We actually uh, spoke about uh, one other change in our uh, Section 25 podcast, and it has to do with the uh, substitution. And basically, it allows a pilot to expense a hotel in base during his substitution window and use his deviation bank for that. Always a huge issue with our pilots is the expense reporting system. Can you talk some about how those procedures have changed with this new TA? Yeah, Chris, it's obviously been a major issue for our pilots, um, especially during the pandemic and the large use of non-contract hotels. But we were able to achieve in Section 8 was the ability for a pilot to incur cost and not be required to have a receipt. So in other words, the current contract says if your expense is $25 or less, you're not required to have a receipt. In the new contract, uh, we increased that amount to less than $75 and the IRS maximum, whichever's less, and $75 today is the IRS maximum. That's right, Pat. And this is in addition to the uh, improvements with the um, expense report process that we spoke about in the Section 5 podcast. Pat and Rich, thanks again for coming. Any final thoughts on Section 8 deadheading? Chris, thanks for having us again. The big takeaway for the pilots on this is that we've improved broadly quality of life throughout increases in Section 8. Uh, We also defended against a company provision that would have required broader use and latitude of the jump seat access in lieu of those deadhead tickets. So the company came after that aggressively during this negotiation. They wanted a UPS model for jump seat usage, and we defended that jump seat with vigor. And at the end of the day, while we weren't able to capture everything that we were targeting in, in the actual opener, Section 8 did provide improvements for our pilot's quality of life. And we're pleased with the outcome, and the company did not achieve their results that they were seeking with the jump seats. Thanks for coming, and thanks for listening to this episode of our TA podcast series on Section 8, Deadheading. Throughout this process, you can get the most factual information at our TA website, fdxta.com. There you'll find the actual TA document, TA highlights, TA frequently asked questions, videos, these podcasts, and other information. Once again, 
Thanks for listening. And as always, be safe out there and we'll see you next time.